Well, no secret, we're returning to these Wednesday evenings. We're turning back to 1 Corinthians, please. First Corinthians, please, and the chapter 3. And we're going to read this evening from the verse 16. And we're going to seek to cover right down to the end of the chapter at verse 23. So the verse 16, and we're going to read down to the verse 23. Now remember, we're following on from the account uh, of what it will be to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, uh, the Bema, and to face the possibility of having our building, uh, which are the works that we are doing for the Lord, burnt up as nothing before the Lord if we're not building with the right materials. And we've been exhorted to build a good building in these verses before, not with corruptible things, but with incorruptible things such as gold and silver, and precious stones. And now Paul, in this same train of thought, he says this in verse 16 of chapter 3. Verse 16 of chapter 3, he says this, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All are yours. And ye are Christ's. And Christ is God's. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this evening. You've maybe heard the phrase or the sentence or statement, desperate times require desperate measures. That's too often true in the days in which we live, that desperate times require uh, desperate measures. I would say that the church of Jesus Christ in this day of small things has sometimes gotten into desperate measures uh, that they resort to in order to spread the gospel. But not only to spread the gospel, but to teach the truths of God to the church of Jesus Christ in the local assembly. Uh, there are massive changes across the evangelical church scene today to try and attract the world in through the doors of the church or to keep young people interested. And in trying to make the meeting of the church more relevant to the world, there's a great danger that the evangelical church will fall into the trap of getting desperate and resorting to the wisdom of the world and allowing human wisdom to enter into the church of Christ instead of teaching what we've has clearly been revealed by God within the scriptures. And as we've traveled through these opening chapters, verse by verse, statement by statement, you couldn't have failed to see, in these, if you've been at these previous meetings on Wednesday evenings, that through his, God's Spirit in Paul, 
God categorically tells us that we are to reject all ways of human wisdom. That there is no place for worldly wisdom or human wisdom in the church. And rather God's wisdom should be taught within the church as we open the scriptures together. And this theme continues through these verses this evening. We're going to dive straight into these verses and seek to understand them and apply them to our lives in our own context. You know, in these days, it seems like the Church of Christ is under attack from the outside world all the time. The world so often uh, treats true believers with such hostility. And I'm so glad that the Lord in his grace has provided us with organizations such as the Christian Institute who have protected the church's stand in this land over many years. However, what we're dealing with in these verses that we come to this evening isn't attacks from outside the church causing destruction, but we find Paul giving the Corinthian church a rebuke and he tells them, stop destroying the church. Stop destroying the church. This was an internal problem. And this was the church, the brothers and sisters, found within this local assembly in Corinth. The way they were living, they were destroying the church. And that's our title that we're going to take on this evening as we consider these verses together. Stop destroying the church. I want you to see firstly in these verses, I, I want you to see the rhetorical question. It's found in verse 16. And this is what Paul says to them. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Paul asks the question, do you not know that you're the temple of God. Now look at the first part of the phrase. Look at the first part of the question. This is important. He says, know ye not? Do you not know? This is posed as a rhetorical question. He certainly expects the Christians in Corinth uh, to know exactly what he's about to teach them. This is knowledge that they should have already acquired. And Paul uses the same rhetorical question throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to come across this phrase quite a few times as we go through the book. Paul turns to the, the Corinthian church many times and he says, Do you not know? Do you not know? Ye know not. And in a way his tone is quite sarcastic because these were the people, remember, who prided themselves in being knowledgeable people. These were the people who were very proud of their knowledge. And Paul says to them, what do you mean you don't know? And each time we hear Paul say, know ye not, throughout this letter, it is usually introducing a section in which Paul is especially concerned about their behavior in the Christian life. It often occurs when he's going to make a theological statement that they should, all, that they should already know, but appear to be ignoring in the way that they live. You know, I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters, tonight. It's great to have a good knowledge of God's word. And I praise God for people around me in this church fellowship. You have a great knowledge of God's word. But let me say this. It's a whole other thing to live God's word out. It's great to have the head knowledge. But I wonder, are you living out God's word? You see, Paul expected the church in Corinth 
to know these things that he was teaching them. These were the ABCs of the faith. This, this was the easy stuff. And yet they weren't living it. Yet they weren't living as they ought. And Paul, he keeps on saying, what do you mean you don't know? What do you mean you're not living in this way? And the main impact of this rhetorical device that Paul's using is to make it clear that he's teaching a foundational theology, something they should know, it's foundational to be accepted by all, and yet the Corinthian church weren't living it out. So what is this foundational theology that Paul is reminding the Corinthians of tonight? Well, he says in verse 16, Know ye not that you're the temple of God? You're the temple of God. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now I want to spend some time in this word temple because it's going to come up quite a few times throughout this book and it appears a lot throughout the New Testament as well. You'll know, of course, that the New Testament is written originally in Greek and we only have one word in English for temple but the original Greek language in the New Testament that there were two words that the Holy Spirit uses for our English word for temple. The first Greek word is herion. I think I said it right. H-I-E-R-O-N. You can look it up. I am not a scholar. Uh, but herion. And that, that word is the literal word for temple, meaning the physical temple that you would have found in Jerusalem, like Herod's temple during the Savior's day. It was the physical bricks and mortar, if you like, it was the actual building, Herion. It describes a physical temple that you can see with your eyes. The temple that the Lord Jesus Christ went into and scourged all the hypocrites and traitors out of it. That is Herion, the Greek word that the Holy Spirit uses for the physical temple, an actual building, just like the building that we're in this evening. But there's another word in the Greek that is used for temple, and that's naos, N-A-O-S. And this is used within the New Testament scriptures when the Holy Spirit is talking about the temple figuratively or symbolically, when he's not talking about literal bricks and mortar uh, that you can touch, but a temple that is representing the place where God dwells. It's the place where God dwells, and it's not always necessarily the place that you can see like the temple of God in the Old Testament. Now it's important that we understand this, so that we understand what Paul means when he says the word temple right throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. And for us to do this, I want you to see these two words used in one particular passage. So can you turn with me, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians, and turn with me to the Gospel of John, and chapter 2, just for one moment, and we're going to read from the verse 13 just want to illustrate this so that you see uh, what it means here. John chapter 2 and the verse 13. And we read there in verse 13 of the Gospel of John in chapter 2. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple. Now, now that's the literal temple. That's the word Harion, the, the literal physical temple. And he found in the temple, Harion, those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of 
small cords. He drove them all out of the temple, again, hurry on, the physical temple, and the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money, and overthrew the tables, and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews, and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou dost these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple. Now there's a change in word here. It's nails now. Not hurry on, the physical building, but nails. He says to them, Destroy this temple. That tells us that the Lord is changing the emphasis now. And we now know that the change of this word, he's speaking about himself. He is the dwelling place of God. He is God himself. And he's speaking of Naos. He's talking about his own body. Not the physical building that was around him, but his own body. And he says, destroy this Naos, this, this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. There you have it categorically. His resurrection he's talking about. Then said the Jews, 40 and 6 years was this temple and building. And will not now not reared up in three days. But he didn't speak of the he didn't speak of the temple because the temple was his body that he was speaking of. But what I want you to see clearly here as we turn back to 1 Corinthians is this word nails is spoken of figuratively as the temple of the Lord's body. And if we go to chapter 1 of John, we see the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But we move on and we'll read at a later time in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, a few chapters on from where we're studying this evening, we find this word naos for the temple again. Not the building, but the body of Christ. Uh, and it's the figure of use of temple again. And this time it's referring to the body of believers. That means your body and my body, that the Lord is dwelling there this evening. In chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul says this, What? Know ye not that your body is the naos, the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? So this word is used of the literal physical body of the Lord Jesus Christ when he's there on earth. Because God dwelt in the body, God manifests himself in Christ's flesh. But as we go into the New Testament dispensation of grace, we see that the Holy Spirit has come down upon the church at Pentecost, caused uh, in a way that he has never done in any other period of time. And we see the individual believer is now called the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost didn't come to dwell in people in the Old Testament. But this evening, dear brothers, dear sister, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That means you, where you are, where you're sitting now, me, where I'm standing, we are literal temples of the Holy Ghost. Nails. So Christ, during his time on earth, was the dwelling place, the temple of God. And now each of us who are trusting in Christ, we are the temple of God. In fact, the church universal. Absolutely everyone that names the name of Christ as their saviour, as they're seen from heaven in the spirit, whether they're black, whether they're white, 
whatever background they come from or whatever continent or country they're found in, they're all one temple figuratively for the presence of holy God of heaven to dwell in. And so this word naos is used for the body of Christ universally. It's also used for your individual body as a believer before God. And that's the way we are to understand it. But in this verse, verse 16 this evening, it's speaking about the local church being the dwelling place of God. God dwells among his people in the local church in a very special way. You see, in verse 16, he is speaking, Paul, by the Spirit of God, he's speaking directly to the local church that's found in Corinth. And he's saying to them, Dear local church, found in the city of Corinth, do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. We could place ourselves into that night and we could say, Dear Grange Baptist, do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. You see, when we gather just the way we are this evening, God dwells among his people in a very special way. When we gather as a church fellowship, the Lord promises a special presence. It's a presence that we all enjoy. It's a presence that we who are here tonight will enjoy. And it's not reserved for those who will listen to the recording of this sermon at a later date. There is a special presence of God here as we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's what makes the gathering of the local church that place of blessing. It's the place where we gather to encourage one another to press on for the Lord and we experience God's power in a real way and his holy purity. Surely we discovered this a number of years ago when the church doors were shut. I'll tell you, I got fed up looking at a screen. I couldn't wait to get back to the place where God's people met because I love the place where I meet with God's people. And I love opening God's word together with God's people. And I love singing praises to the Lord with God's people. There's a special presence of the Lord when we meet in a way like we have this evening and each Lord's day. That's why God promises for two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The local church fellowship here at Grange, as a body of believers, we are the temple of the Spirit of God. The word ye there in the verse, it's plural. It's not speaking about you individually. It's speaking about us plural. Now, this leads us on to the next part. Now, Paul's asked his rhetorical question, but now he has a very solemn warning. There's a solemn warning here. And it's found in verse 17. And we would do well, dear brothers and sisters, to take note of this verse and take the words of this verse very, very seriously in God's presence this evening. This is what Paul writes in verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are. This is a solemn warning that comes from Paul. Now Paul, he's speaking as we've established about the local church in Corinth. 
and the universal church, because if we speak, see this word, him shall God destroy, the universal church of Christ will never, ever be destroyed. Never. There will always be the church of Christ on this earth until Christ comes and calls us home. In fact, it's the, but the fact of the matter is, the local church can be destroyed. The local church can disappear. In fact, it's the repeated warning of Christ to the churches in Revelation. Unless you repent, says the Lord, I'll remove your lampstand. And the truth is, there's been many a church that has moved away from standing on the truth of God's word. What is this chapter all about? It's about standing on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about not moving away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have in this passage this evening, we've learned of the foundation, we've learned of what we've to build upon, and if we're not building right as a church fellowship, well, the Lord could very easily remove the lampstand here in Grange Baptist Church. The truth is, there's many a church that's moved away, many a light has gone out. And Paul calls out and he simply says this, stop destroying the church. Stop destroying the church. If any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy. And he calls out, there's many problems within the doors of this church in Corinth. We're going to be thinking of many, many of them. There was this party spirit following different leaders that we've thought about already. Some follow Paul, some follow Cephas, some follow Apollos. It doesn't work. That there was worldly wisdom getting into this church. The worldview was getting in and was destroying it. There was fleshly behavior. We're going to learn about this in later weeks. There was sexual immorality found within this church in Corinth. There was self-promotion. There, there were people exalting themselves. There was unlawful actions taking place. They were taking each other to court. And there was mutual doctrinal compromise. And we'll see that later on. In chapter 15 of this chapter. All of this was destroying the church. And the devil was attacking from the inside. The devil was using God's people to destroy the church. And the truth is. That if God were to destroy a church. You are behaving in this way. It's the perfect judgment and perfect punishment. God should just get rid of that church. We can think of how many examples of church discipline that we find in scripture. We find we could think of Ananias and Sapphira who were both struck dead for their disobedience within the church. And this was the first instance we read of in the local church of local church discipline in scripture and it was God who performed it. They were destroyed and they were struck dead for their sin within the local church. And the truth is, I believe that this needs to sink in this evening. The local church, as we meet here at this very moment, is God's temple, God's holy temple. This means God dwells in this local church, and therefore we have great responsibility. Great responsibility in how we live our lives and how we do our business here in Grange Baptist. This is God's building. 
I'm not talking about the bricks and mortar around us. I'm talking about you, brothers and sisters. We are God's building. And how we behave is extremely important. If we could get this into our heads, that this is the temple of God, it would certainly change the way we live. It, it would change the fashion of uh, it would change the fashion of how we do things. I tell you, if we could really grasp it and let it sink into our minds and, and let it sink into our meetings, I, I think we would come into this place very differently. I think it would change the very atmosphere in the building. Not because of there's anything special in the building, because we would know when we're meeting together that God is here. To think that we would nearly tiptoe our way in as we sense his holiness. It would change the way we serve him in this local church if we really grasp this. Children's workers, it would make a difference in how you prepare your lessons. How you teach the children to know that you're doing it in behalf of the temple of God. It would make a difference in the things that we all say in our speech. It would make a difference in, in the way we're so undecided over church membership. It wouldn't just be an option. It would be something we'd have to do because God's here and this is the temple of God. It would make a difference in obeying the Lord and meeting around his table because he is there and he's looking for those who want to be there and remembering him. It would make a difference in whether we obey the scriptural ordinance to be baptized because it's a command of the Lord and the Lord's people are the temple of God. It would make a difference in how we dig in our pocket. And how we give to the Lord for the elders, Bill and I, would not affect the way we make decisions, the way we plan. We would only realize that we're called upon by God to direct the flock of God, which is the temple of God, deacons. Would it not affect your service? Would it not affect the way you welcome at the doors, even the way you turn the lights on and do everything that's needed to be done? What we find in this verse, verse 17, is such a solemn warning. And on the authority of God's word tonight, let me say, if there's anyone here in this meeting this evening who's a stirrer or a troublemaker, it ought to affect the way you conduct yourself. Because we are the temple of God. Paul's rhetorical question. Paul's solemn warning, but Finally, this evening, a simple reminder. In verses 18 to 20, he reminds the church that the first problem was exalting human wisdom. And he summarizes what he's already said before. And then in verses 21 through 23, he summarizes his thoughts on exalting human leaders. And then he finishes off with this lovely phrase, and ye are Christ, and Christ is God's. And every good teacher will know a summary at the end of their lesson is so important. Sometimes maybe you read a textbook and you find that at the end of every chapter there's there's a summary because it helps to condense in your mind and put together all the loose ends. And the same is true in this teaching. Paul knows that he needs to summarize all that he's been teaching in the first three chapters and so Paul he, he ties all the loose ends together here as he comes to the end of chapter 3. And here's what he says in verse 18. He says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. 
For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and again the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. If you're looking around you, quite simply, Paul says, as a Christian to the foolish things of this world, if you're this world's fool, if you like, to materialism, to philosophy of this age, you need to realize that you're not spiritual, you're carnal. And you'll never be spiritual if you dwell in the realm of worldly wisdom. It's not the wisdom of God. There's a warning here to elders and to pastors and to church leaders within the church. This is what Paul is saying to us this evening. Don't run the church with human wisdom. I'll tell you, you can't run a church like a business. Many a church fellowship run like a business these days. And when you're appointing leaders and deacons and people to positions, you don't appoint them concerning the position that they have in society or how good they are at finances or how high up in their job that they are. God says that's foolishness. There's a day coming when church leadership will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will answer for this whether we've built the church in human wisdom or divine wisdom. Don't ever forget that the world depends on promotion and prestige and influence and money. And that's not what the church depends on. The church depends on prayer and the Holy Spirit and humility and sacrifice. You go into the Acts of the Apostles and perhaps when the church was at its purest, at the very beginning, and you'll see the church didn't own property. They had no influence in politics or government. They had no money. Peter said to the man at the temple, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. These leaders in the early church, do you know what they were? They were ordinary. They were uneducated individuals. They weren't worried about money or numbers. They didn't bring celebrities to get a crowd. Yet the Acts of the Apostles says they turned the world upside down for Christ. Don't be deceived into seeking the wisdom of this world over the wisdom of God. I'll tell you why. Here's what Paul says. He says this. Look at verse 21. For all things are yours. All things are yours. Some young people hanker over the bright lights and the wisdom of this world. But when you look for a moment as we close this part of our meeting, to the possessions of the child of God that Paul lists for us here. Verse 21 and verse 22. He tells us God's servants are yours. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. God's servants are yours. They were all running after Paul and Cephas and Apollos as if, as if they belonged to these people. Paul says, you don't belong to them. They belong to you. Do you know, dear brothers and sisters, According to this verse, I belong to you. You don't belong to me as my church fellowship. I belong to you. A gift of the church that the Lord gives is preaching and elders and deacons and church leadership. They are there for the benefit of the church of Jesus Christ. God has appointed them. And God's servants are yours. Take it a step further. That means the ministry of this church is yours. It's not for me to take pride in. It's for you to take practice in. It's for you to be involved in. 
It's for you to be doing the work of the Lord as well in this place. What other possessions does Paul tell the church they have? He says, well, Paul, you, you have Paul, you have Apollos, you have Cephas, you have church leadership. It goes on, he says, or the world. This cosmos, this world, the physical world is yours. What does that mean? It means the birds, the trees, the mountains, the lovely springs, they're yours to enjoy. God's creation there for you to enjoy. Isn't it wonderful to know that even this world, this universe, the material universe around you, isn't working against you? Why? Because it belongs to God. And it's not working to the plan of a conservative government. It's working to the plan of God. And that means it's working for you. And God's creation, this world, is there for you to enjoy. This world, it's yours. Verse 22, it goes on. It says, life and death are your abundant life. Your life has been given to you to glorify God. And even in the hard times and the good times, you can glorify him because all things work together for good. And even if death comes, as Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. You're not a victim to death. Hallelujah, you're a victor through death. You're no slave to death. When we die, we, we won't, it will just be a passing into the presence of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's not enough, says Paul, he goes on and he says, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. He says there that the future belongs to God, and therefore it belongs to you. This world seems to be going in the wrong direction. Well, Scripture told us that would happen. This world seems to be getting darker and darker. In the last days, man will wax worse and worse. This was God's plan. He knows what's happening. This is no surprise to the Lord. Our hands are in the one who holds the future, the one who's working for us. Therefore, we can say that the things that happen presently are, are ours. And the things to come are ours because one day as the church of Christ victorious will stand in glory and will worship the Lamb for all eternity. Dear brothers and sisters, what a way Paul finishes this evening. He says at the end of verse 22, all these things are yours. And then he says this, what a special, special phrase. And you are Christ. And Christ is God's. Remember the wee group in chapter 1 and verse 12. He said, oh, we, we were of Christ. Do you know what Paul says? We're all of Christ. There's nothing special about you. We're all of Christ. And Christ is God's. And we're joint heirs with Christ. And we're going to get everything from Christ. Remember he said at the very beginning, Paul to the church of Corinth, unto the church of Corinth, which are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to the saints. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He saved you in Christ at Calvary. He regenerated you in Christ at the moment of your salvation. He's sanctifying you in Christ now in your pilgrimage down here. He's going to raise you in Christ at the redemption of the body. He's going to bring you in Christ to glory, perfect and spotless to the glory of Christ. Why? Because Christ, in God, Christ is in God. 
Isn't that wonderful? That's what it says. Is it any wonder he said all these things are yours? You can go away tonight with your heart lifted high because all the benefits found in Christ, they're yours. And we should rejoice that we're found as the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, an evangelist one day was walking down one of the main streets in the city of London. He put on these this coat with big long tails and striped trousers and a top hat. And he wrote on the front of the top hat, a fool for Christ's sake. He walked down the street and everybody was laughing and jeering at him and mocking him. And then when they turned to take a second look at him, when they passed, it said in the back of his top hat, whose fool are you? Fool for Christ, at the front of the top hat. In the back it said, whose fool are you? Dear believer, whose fool are you? Are you a fool to the wisdom of this world? Or are you God's fool? The foolishness of the preaching of the gospel was what saved these Corinthians as Paul came and proclaimed the gospel. I trust that we wouldn't be wise in this world's eye. But that we would become as fools to this world. That we might receive all the glory that Christ has for us as his people. Let's pray together. Our Father, how we realize that your very presence is here amongst us this evening. We thank you for that special presence at each time the church fellowship gathers. I thank you, Father, for this light that is shining here at Grange. I thank you, Father, that indeed as we come before you this evening, that it's a light that you have kept lit for so many years. And Father, we realize that there have been many faithful brothers and sisters down through those years who stood and sounded out the gospel in this little province, in this little place, in this hamlet. And how, Father, we praise you for those who were faithful. And here we are, Father, found today in such a time as this. And Father, it's our responsibility to live for you, to realize that your presence is among us. And Father, we pray that if there's any sin in the camp of this fellowship that would grieve the Holy Spirit who dwells in the midst of this fellowship, that Father, indeed, you would forget. That Father, you would forgive us and cleanse us afresh with the blood of Christ. For Father, we want to be a fellowship who can be well used by you. And Father, we would never want those words that you would want to destroy a local church fellowship set of here. Father, we take these words in Scripture so seriously tonight. It weighs heavy on our souls. For Father, we realize that we need to keep a daily walk with you in our individual lives.
but also as a fellowship we need to always be proclaiming Christ and staying very close to the book that is before us. Father, may we stand in the promises found in this book. May we always be found proclaiming the truths found within. And Father, as a fellowship, we pray that we would see fruit as we seek to be faithful to you. Father, we pray that you will move in very special ways in the coming week. And Father, we ask, O oh God, that you would move in a special way in the Grange. Father, as we come to this time of prayer just now, we ask for your help. We ask, Father, as we come to pray, that indeed we will be aware of your presence with us. And we thank you, Father, that you will hear each prayer, whether aloud or prayed in the heart. We praise you, God, that you hear each one. We pray this all in our Saviour's name. Amen.